All right, good morning, everybody. How are you? Welcome, all our church family and all of our church guests this morning. I want to welcome all of you here this morning. Glad to have you here. Uh, We've kicked off our series called Hashtag Where's the Joy? And it's gone well so far. I feel like last week, man, it was just uh, an incredible happy day. I feel like a lot of people uh, have, have called back in this last week and shared, hey, that was really helpful for me. And so thank you for sharing that. Uh, a couple of cool things to note. Last week we had 28 first-time guests. So if you're a guest, again, glad to have you guys this morning. Also, we had 20 people who made Jesus leader, leader and forgiver of their life last week. So I would say, uh, yeah, that's awesome. We should definitely clap for that. That's always exciting. Um, We're going to kick things off today. Last week we started talking through Philippians chapter 1, and today we're going to jump in and go through Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and share a verse real quickly with you. It's uh, chapter 4, but I feel like what Paul says here in chapter 4, verse 4, is probably a great way just to talk about what the whole series is all about. Paul says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Last week we dove in and talked about the fact that, that joy is not determined by what happens to me, but what happens in me. Last week we kind of walked around this conversation a few times and helped, it to, helped us really to look at this from something that when you have real joy, when you really find your joy in Christ and Christ is in you, then your joy can't be taken. We look across our globe today and you recognize that, I mean, we are a people hungry for hope. Am I right? We're a people hungry for joy. We're starving for happiness. I mean, there's movies called Pursuit of Happiness. You look across our nation today, and not even, not even talking about what's going on across the globe, but just look at our own world today, and we're starving for something that's real. Um, I was going to show you a couple things that, uh, as Paul talked about, that he said rejoice and, and talked about joy. Some things that bring me some joy. I'm going to show you a couple pictures here. Here's some things that bring me joy. That brings me joy. That's my wife, Christy. She brings me joy. Uh, that was a, a wedding that I got to do in Savannah, Georgia, uh, just a, a few months back. But that my wife, we've been married 21 years now. She brings me joy. Here's another picture that brings me joy. This, this, are, this is my kids. And this is, uh, that's the panic attack right before the, the train hits your car. Uh, that was in vacation this summer. And uh, I love my kids. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun. And uh, can't believe they're mine. Can't believe I'm that old to have that many. And, and, uh, but that was a lot of fun. Here's another photo. Um, this is an empty email box. This brings me joy. All right. Uh, anyone ever seen one of those before? Neither have I. I had to find that one on the web. <laughs> All right. Here's another picture. This brings me joy. Anybody recognize what this is? Go FSU. Any FSU fans here? Yeah. Who's that other team? Oh, yeah. Auburn. How many guys are Auburn fans? Anybody Auburn fans? Yep, yep. Any Georgia fans? All right, any Falcons fans? Yep, that was a good start to the game last night, too. Not a very good ending, though. Hashtag, where's the joy? All right, so those are the things that bring me joy. Um, Crazy enough, though, when you think about uh, America, Gallup, and I love stats. Stats kind of help us uh, understand what's going on in our world. But in, our, in America, Gallup has started measuring happiness. Did you guys know this? It measures happiness by states. And so for the past several years, Gallup has gone and looked at what are the happiest states in America. The happiest state running for a few years. It didn't win it every year, but, but Hawaii is the number one happiest state in America. Um, uh, Colorado's in there in the top ten 
And uh, in the bottom 10, sadly enough, uh, Alabama was in the bottom 10. Uh, but thank God for West Virginia. Um, West Virginia, Trump, Alabama. And so what we, what we learned and what they did in this poll was they scored basically measurements that were all exterior measurements. You know, how much money you made, uh, how happy you were with a variety of things that were all external, nothing internal. And we learned that even like some of the highest scores were like 70. Hawaii scored a 70. Well, if you grade that on like today's school papers, a 70 is a C. So even in America, even state by state, we look at our states and we think, how happy really are people? And, uh, you know, there have been some, some states that have tried really hard to kind of amp up their, their happiness, and they've legalized marijuana, trying to just, you know, just, all right? So maybe they've got to do that. But what's sad is, when you, in all reality, uh, that's sad, right? I mean, that's sad. We need something more than that. We need something more than that. So last week, we started this series off. Today, I want to dive in chapter 2, and I want to show you what Paul says. And again, as we shared last week, Paul is Paul's a pastor. He, he started the church uh, in Philippi, and he's writing to the Philippian people as now he has gone 10 years beyond, and he is writing this letter to his friends, sort of giving them a shout-out, and he is writing from a prison cell, tethered to, by change, to a prison guard, where every 24 hours they rotate shifts. So here's Paul writing about joy. And again, if you're here this morning and uh, you are, you're thirsty for joy, you're hungry for hope, you're, you're really looking for what it is in life that would bring you ultimate happiness, here's a guy that I believe we can believe in what he says. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Again, love this about Paul. Here is someone who is uh, heart of a pastor uh, talking about what brings him joy. And he says this, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And essentially Paul is saying, you help complete my joy. My joy is being complete when I recognize that you are getting joy, that you're grasping how to obtain and have joy through Christ. He says, my joy is complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And then Paul goes on from here, and he talks about, he starts to break things down a little bit, and he, and he, and he goes into what I'm going to call some joy killers. He goes into some things that steal our joy. He, he begins to talk about, hey, we all want it. We all long for it. We know it's, uh, it's out there. We, we may even believe that it's really through Christ. But here, here are some things that might be robbing you or stealing from you real joy. And so Paul goes into verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's pretty difficult because all of us are pretty selfish at nature. So he says, do everything or do as best you can not to do anything, anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. So Paul says, here's some things you've got to be careful about. Here's some things that will absolutely kill your joy. And I think we see this in our generation. Am I right? Am I, right? I mean, these are some things that absolutely, in our generation, that we see everywhere. 
So I'm going to give you a couple things that I see out of this passage. Number one, Paul says, um, he talks about vain conceit and uh, selfish ambition. So I'm going to give you this. Uh, I think he says, number one, that we should not be living to impress people. I think when you look around, we're a generation full of trying to impress each other. We try so hard to try to work our, our mojo and our magic to try to get some attention on ourselves because there's something deep down that's lagging that we try very, very hard to promote ourselves. Sort of that got to get mine mentality. Do whatever it takes so I can serve myself and self-gratify my life. So I think Paul says, hey, we got to stop. I mean, one of the things that's going to kill our joy is living to impress. Just absolutely living in a way that is trying to receive the accolade and impress others. Number two, I think what Paul is explaining here to our generation is living for the applause. Living for the applause of people. We see this everywhere in our culture. In fact, living for the applause is a Lady Gaga song that's been popular out in the last couple of years. This is, this is an excessive need for approval. This is, uh, this is make me feel better. I'm going to give you the right to make me feel better. This is living for the applause of others. It's attention on ourselves. It's the idea of everything being all about me. Uh, 2013 word of the year was the word selfie. The word selfie. I mean, you just think about, here's Paul talking about this many years ago. And in 2013, the American, the American word of the year was the word selfie. Now, I, I, I looked this up and uh, got a definition of this. The, the, the definition of selfie is a self-portrait typically, typically taken with a handheld device in a tilted manner and taking a photo. In fact, if I'd have done that, I would, you guys would have just all photobombed my picture there. But, I mean, this is, this is where we're at. This is where our world is at. You look at our lives, our generation, and we are in an excessive world of grabbing approval, gaining attention with this idea somehow of gratifying me at every turn. In fact, I think it's kind of funny that 25% of selfies were taken by people 45 years and older. It's like, Granny, what are you doing taking a selfie? I mean, you know, it's just like, wow, right? So uh, uh, let me tell you some trends that were taken by the California, uh, California State University. Here's some cultural trends in America. One was a preoccupi- preoccupi- uh, me, preoccupation can't say that very well this morning, uh, of self, um, being just preoccupied with ourself all the time. That was one of the trends that they noticed in America. Number second, the two trend is uh, being above the rules. We live in a world where we feel like they don't apply to us. I am so concerned with me, that rule really doesn't have to affect me. I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to choose to live my life. It's another trend that Uh, They saw in America that's creeping up. Number three trend is the inability to take criticism. Inability to uh, have anybody speak into your life and say, hey, you know what, I don't think that's the best way. Oh, what are you talking about? It's me we're talking about here, right? I don't have to abide by the rules. In fact, who made the rules? I don't need to abide by any rules. I make my own rules. So another trend there. 
Uh, fourth trend is refusal to take responsibility. You guys have probably noticed that. I mean, there are times I don't want to take responsibility of things I've done, but that's a huge trend that we see creeping up in America. Uh, number five was unilateral listening. Uh, listening only to respond, meaning gathering intel in a conversation only to be able to say, I'm going to use these things than to say what I want to say. It's funny, I just realized all of a sudden that that, that one's wrong. I kind of usually like using that one. So anyways, uh, thought that, I thought that was something good, but this is actually bad. Don't do that. Uh, and then number six is that in America, we are quicker to anger than ever, ever before. Another trend in America. Um, and let me just say this. Uh, in, in the onslaught of this, they said that all this means, and this is their words, they said we're a nation of narcissism. And what we are seeing is that this leads to depression, it leads to anxiety, and we look around our globe and we, we see so many sad scenarios and sad stories of people hungry for hope, dying to find something that's real, and, and we, we look at this and we say, that's, that's, they're, they're right on. This is exactly where America's at. This is exactly where our world is at. What's crazy about this is, I don't mean to sound negative, but this is natural. This is our tendency for all these. This is just natural. We are naturally self-serving people. But let me just tell you this this morning. God doesn't want us to live in the natural. God's not wanting us to live in the natural. He wants us to live our lives through him. Jesus, when he's in us and we're in him, if Jesus is joy, then joy comes from Christ who lives in us. Let me just say if you're a guest here this morning and you're sort of checking out the claims of Christ, showing up to find God through Bible study, through church here this morning, can I tell you that in my life, he is the only thing that matters. I've tried it all. I really have. From the time I was young till now, I've tried to find ways in my life that would self-serve myself and offer some sort of gratification. And I'm telling you this, I've never found anything other than Jesus that really satisfies, that gives me hope, that offers me a real hope and a solution for my life. He's it. Jesus is it. And I love that Paul, Paul writes about this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He says, he says listen, this is, this is huge. If you recognize that that's legit, that we are a self-serving world, he says then what we've got to do is we've got we've to understand that our attitudes or your attitudes should be, we ought to try to make our attitudes the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God to be something that gra- was grasped. Even Jesus, who God sent himself, God in Abad, sent Jesus to be a, born on this earth, did not consider the idea of trying to be like level with God as he was being the son of God here on earth, something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself nothing. But just think about this. 
the model of the world, the, 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 the person of Jesus, the personhood of God in Jesus, modeled to us making himself nothing. That's the complete antithesis of what most of us do. I can think of most of my day, I'm not making myself something. I'm trying to make things, and I'm trying to set up things where there's more for me, right? I, I, I'm just sort of kind of self-indulging uh, in you knowing kind of really what goes on in my life and my heart. But Paul says this, taking the very nature of a servant, taking on Jesus, taking on it's what he did. He took on the very nature of a servant. Here comes the king. People were like applauding. They were laying out palm branches. Here comes the king, the Messiah. And Jesus takes on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, allowed himself to be born as a human. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Okay, go ahead. Just kill me. Obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And that's awesome. I mean, I just, I love our Savior. I love knowing that God would give us this gift, the King of all kings, and then the King would take a one-down position to model to the world, listen, I'm going to give you my life. It's yours for the taking. And I'm going to allow it to be something that not only gives you hope of salvation, hope of forgiveness, but a model of how we ought to live our lives because it's the very best way to live in order to have real joy and real peace in our lives. So he gave his life humbly and it says, therefore God exalted him because of this, therefore because of what he did on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God forever. See, Paul says to us today that the number one, the number one key to having joy is to develop a servant's heart. If you want to have joy in your life, it's not going to come by exalting yourself. If you really, really want to have peace and joy in your life, it will not come by you and I going out and trying to get more for ourselves. I can tell you this. There are so many days where I've, you know, felt poorly, badly, that I've said, all right, because I feel bad today, I'm going to go out and make this day about pleasing me. And I'll go, you know, I'm going to go, I did this one day this last week, preaching on joy. And I'm like, man, I'm just having a rotten day. I think I'll call a friend and go eat at Waffle House. And I went to Waffle House. They got this new awesome bowl, right? It's a grits bowl. It doesn't just have grits. It's got scrambled eggs with cheese in it. And it had sausage. And I'd been eating so healthy. My wife's had us on this crazy diet. And like, you know what? I'm tired of that. I don't abide by those rules any longer. This is a me day. And what, is I, what do I do on a me day? I go to Waffle House. And I indulge in the, the bowl of glory, right? <laughs> but you know what? That wasn't where I stopped on that day. I was like, well, since I blew, blew it, I mean, all day long, 
all day long. It was one of these days like, I, what, what can I do for me right now? Where can I go to make me feel better? I think I'll go to Dick's Sporting Goods stores because I need a new pair of running shoes. You ever done that? And Paul talks about this. He's like, listen, there's no way you're going to find soul-searching satisfaction and indulging and gratifying your every wish. He says the number one thing, the key to joy is to develop, doesn't happen overnight, but to develop a servant's heart. I'll tell you what, I was still left empty at the end of the day. I was left empty at the end of every day of those days where I said, you know what, I got to gratify me. I got to serve me. I've never found joy on those days. You track it, chart it in your own life. Journal it yourself. Put it on a calendar. Chart those days where you feel like, ah, I need, I need, I need, and go ahead and serve yourself and see where you end up at the end of the day versus, versus, Developing a servant's heart. We'll talk about what that looks like here in a moment. Paul says this. He says this also in another way. He says it very clearly in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the model. He's the the only model. You want to know how to live your life? Model Jesus. He says, so fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He wants to perfect your faith. He wants to grow you. God's not against us. He's for us. He, remember, he was the guy that gave his life for us. That's, that's proof once and for all that God loves us. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Why did, he, why did he do what he's about to do? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, here's what's profound. I want to think that it was nails that kept Jesus on the cross. I assumed it was nails that kept him on the cross. Here's what, here's what said joy kept him on the cross. It wasn't nails that kept him on the cross. Listen, who for the joy set before him endured the cross? He didn't show up to the cross going, oh my gosh, I got to do this for everybody. It's my lot. It's my role. I'm Jesus, the, the, the coming Messiah. no. It gave him joy to do what? To serve us. Is that crazy? You're the king of the world. You're God. You created everything. You put these people on this earth, and for the joy in you, you gave your life for them. That's our Savior. And it gave him joy. And so, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, how do, do, we, how do we develop a servant's heart? What do we do? Let's, let's break this down, Paul. Uh, later on in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 and on, Paul breaks this down. He, he walks through, here's how we can become more like Christ. Here, here's how we start to... Uh, take steps towards becoming a servant. Number one, I'll give you this. We have to go all in with God. If we're going to find joy, if we're really going to find joy, we've got to go all in with God. Holding nothing back. Holding nothing back. That's how we find joy, by going all with God. Going all with God, excuse me. Philippians, Philippians 2 says this, verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed in my presence, but now that I'm not in your presence, 
as you've always obeyed, even not in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with real, or excuse me, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So Paul's saying, don't quit at the point of salvation. Don't stop at that point. You know, if you're like, hey, I need Jesus. I need salvation. I don't want to go to hell. That's not a bad reason not to go, right? I mean, that's not a bad reason to to come to Christ, knowing that, man, I hate the punishment of it, and I recognize I need a Savior. I'm sinful. Paul says, don't stop there. Don't stop at the point of salvation. Keep working this out. For it is God who works in you, and his will is to lead you to a place of his good purpose. God wants us to get to a place where we are serving others and giving our life away. He modeled that to us. And the first thing we've got to do to to, to even recognize that and to start stepping that direction is by going all in with God and just saying to yourself, God, I'm I'm not going to hold anything back. I recognize what I see in your scripture. I understand that there's so much more beyond, like, you know, salvation, and, and, and God doesn't want us to stop right at the first step beyond, like, I've given you my life, I've given you hope, and I want you to have all of that I've, everything I've given for you, so don't stop after the first step. Go all in with God. The second thing we see here in Philippians is in in accordance with becoming a servant and having a servant's heart, is we've got to take a genuine interest in others. Not a Facebook entrance. Like, like I know what's going on with that person or my friend because I saw it on Facebook. Paul talks about here in Philippians uh, 2, verse 19, that we should take a genuine interest in others. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that i also may be cheered when i receive that i also may be cheered when i receive news about you i have no one else like him who takes general or genuine interest in your welfare see here he he gives a shout out to timothy saying here's a guy here's another great example of someone who i love dearly who really really does this right he takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those who are really in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, hey, take a genuine interest in others. To care for people with our actions as we say with our words. See, most of us are really good with our words. And we live in a culture where it's all just nice conversation. But when we really step up to the plate and take a genuine interest in others, that's when we, 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 we really just... Go all in, whatever it is. What's your need? Where can I serve you? How can I help you? And when we do that, what we do, we begin to break the, the, the thing of greed in our life. We begin to break this self-serving attitude in our life. And when we do that, we begin to develop a servant's heart like Christ. And where do we start? Start with those closest to you. Start with your family. Start with your neighbors. Start with your church. Start with your colleagues right around you at work. Mother Teresa said this. She said, spread love everywhere you go, especially those closest to you. And can I tell you, that's hard to do. It's almost hardest to do with the people who are closest to you. Um, I 
can remember what it was like um, prior to being married. In fact, I thought for many, many years pre-marriage that I was a pretty selfless person. I felt like, you know what? I love people. I'm not all about myself until I got married. <laughs> until all of a sudden, like, you know, the anticipation of the wedding day with the goal of like the, the reception was my highest. Couldn't wait for the reception. You know, it was all, it was easy then, right? Because there was, there was, you know, there was this anticipation of, you know, something that was lingering and it was easy to serve. It was easy to love. But then all of a sudden after, you know, the wedding day, after the first week or so of honeymoon, and then all of a sudden we're in a house together. And I go to bed with this person and I wake up the next morning and I'm like, She's still here, the same place where I left her the night before. Like, hey, you got to go home now. Like, no, 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 we're married, right? And then you'd get into the whole toothpaste thing. I mean, it's been 21 years. It's hard to remember all this stuff. But I can remember, like, the first time, like, the toothpaste thing. Like, I was just like, squeeze it. Just squirt it out. It doesn't matter. You didn't even need a top for it, right? When it gets all crusty on top, it didn't matter at that point. My wife finally rolled hers up. And I can just remember those days thinking, why? Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult for, for she and I to, 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 to so work this thing out and serve each other? Because most of my life prior to that, it was all about serving me. And then, then we had kids. <laughs> and it was just, just, just wasn't one. Then we had three. It's even weird now thinking like waking up and walking upstairs and like, hey, what are you kids doing here? Like, daddy, we belong to you. Like, you're all going to go home. You know what? When I think about how selfish I can become, it opens my eyes that the only person that it really gratifies, I think, is me. But that's not really even the truth. Because ultimately, my selfishness can steal my joy and it steals the joy from others. When I, am, when I am gratifying myself, when I'm living to my own self-preservation, when I'm all about me, I not only steal my joy, but I rob the people around me from their joy, especially with people in my sphere of influence. When I'm serving, serving, serving me, I'm making myself more unhappy. Therefore, if they're around me, when I'm serving myself, then I'm hurting everybody around me. I'm stealing everyone's joy. You ever notice that to happen in your life? When you have those days and you're serving, serving, serving you, you're unhappy. And consequently, you make everybody else unhappy around you. My selfishness can steal my joy and the joy from others. Um, when I lay my rights down and serve... When I, when I lay down this need to serve myself, that's when I really find joy. That's when I really, really find joy. Uh, I got a kick and some uh, fun joy out of a video that was sent to me this last week. And uh, we've, uh, you, you might have heard us say this a few weeks back. This is kind of like a pause from the, the message. My brain just went elsewhere, so I thought I'd show you this video. Of a church who has challenged our church to a kickball game. Let me show you this quick video that they made. It was kind of cheesy, but it was good.
September the 21st, we have been challenged for a kickball game. So uh, the goal of this event is to dominate, okay? So uh, <laughs> nothing, that, nothing that will not be self-serving in this. We're going to completely self-serve ourselves by trying to win at all costs. So what we're going to do is we're going to have, we're going to have kickball tryouts, all right? So if you have 10 years or more of soccer experience, you can try out. No, I'm just kidding. No, seriously, we are going to try to win. And it is, it, is, it is meant to be like a crazy fun day. So we've talked, and we're going to just really g- gather our churches together, hang out, have some fun. We'll, you know, do food and the whole deal. Who knows? We'll grill and have a good time. We're still kind of organizing the whole thing. But I, I would love for everyone to come and cheer on the 12 or so people that will play on that team uh, because we do want to win. So uh, what I'd like for you to do, if you're interested in playing on this team, Get our communication card and drop it off in the offering plate when we worship the end. And, uh, and let us know if you have some skills in catching and kicking, okay? So uh, that's a little timeout break. All right, so thank you, The Ridge. It was a cheesy video, but they meant it to be cheesy. And uh, we might respond this week. Elliot and the production team, they've got a couple cool ideas. So real quick, let me end this this morning. So how do we take interest in others? How do we do this? How do we start it? How do we, how do we get the ball rolling with being and having a servant-like heart like Paul talks about. Number one, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. Look closest around you. I'm looking at my wife in the white pants in front of me. This morning, I remembered my notes. And normally, I don't come back home. I go to the office real early this, in, in the mornings, and I'm like, serving me. I'm like, everybody leave me alone. Starts like Saturday at like noon. Everybody leave me alone. I got to focus, Right? And in my office, I'm in my office early on Sunday mornings. I'm like, don't call me. Leave me alone. Don't text me. I don't want to hear from you. I got to focus, right? And this morning, I'm like, I need to bring my wife coffee this morning. So I brought her coffee, and I'm bragging on myself because it's a little self-gratification there. And I brought my kids donuts. And I'm like, you know what? To make up for being a grumpy father yesterday because I was self-serving, I'm trying to make you happy now by bringing you joy and little sweet circumstantial type Things. So anyway, so find a need and fill it. Start by serving somebody else. Look around and ask yourself, what's a need? What's a need? With someone in my sphere of influence, what's a need? And just go fill it. Just fill it. Not Facebook, not little, hey, hope you're doing what. Like, go solve it. Go solve somebody's problem. Have you ever just seen someone with a legitimate problem and you just fixed it, you solved it, you took care of it, I'm telling you what, it's the greatest joy-filled feeling you could ever have when you serve like Jesus served us. Second thing is, find a hurt and heal it. Find a hurt and heal it. Go love on somebody. Go let somebody know that you genuinely care about their hurt. Oftentimes, you recognize this everywhere we go. You recognize that God puts people in your life with similar hurts is your hurts, with similar fears, with similar insecurities. If we're to be people of joy, then we've got to do this. First Peter 5, 6 says this. It says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. It is very, very humbling to serve somebody else. Scripture tells us, humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will do what? that he may lift you up in due time. Most of us, we're trying to climb the ladder to the top. 
Scripture says, climb the ladder to the bottom, and then God will lift you up. Most of us have that reversed. We're trying to claw and scratch our way to the very top of putting ourselves at the pinnacle of everything in life. And Jesus said, that's not the way for joy. You'll never, ever, ever find joy and complete joy by putting yourself on the top rung. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us Paul's challenge. Not an easy pill to swallow, God, when we think about how self-serving we can be. God, what it would be like if you sparked something here today where we left out like they did in Acts chapter 2 and the church just went out and served itself, served others, made made meals for people who didn't have any, took care of people's needs, helped where people were hurting. God, what would it be like if that became the mantra of this city? God, we could solve a lot of solve a lot of hurt. We could give a lot of hope. And God, in the meantime, you promised that as we do that, you minister to us and you minister through us. It's a powerful thought, God, that I'm opening myself up for you to do work in me and do work through me when I'm taking on a servant-like attitude like you modeled to me. God, I pray that today each of us would take a spiritual step of serving somebody, of loving someone. In Jesus' name, amen.